Welcome to This Week in Sparkling Water. My name is Joachim Eriksson, and I'm the host. Oh, wow, I blacked out right there. I don't remember. I'm the host of the podcast, the name of which I just told you. Uh, episode 125, take four. The first take, I just didn't like the way I sound, so I started over. The second take was uh, very long, and I just talked about how I didn't like the way I sounded, but how we have to not start over, and then eventually it got to be too much. And then the third take, I couldn't even properly say what the name of the podcast was, so that was a very short take. And now we're on take four, and now we're just going with it. Now it doesn't matter what I sound like. So what are we talking about today? So let's start uh, with the immediate. Let's start in situ. Uh, right now it's 12.48 a.m., very late at night to be starting recording a podcast that's probably going to take three hours to record. I got a lot of stuff to talk about. So why? So I just got off work. I don't like to record podcast episodes on the days when I'm working because those days are fully, fully taken up by work. And today was a no exception. Today, I was going to go home early at like 8.30 p.m. or 9 p.m. Doug was already floating the idea that I might go home. And then uh, the biggest disaster happened, something so big that I cannot even talk about it on the podcast. But if you want to hear about it, message me and ask me about it, and I'll tell you all about it. And you know what? As I'm saying that, I'm realizing that's what the podcast should be. The podcast should be a trailer, a little teaser for what it's like to be my friend. And if you actually want to be my friend, message me and we'll talk about it, you know? Message me and I'll set up an audition and you can <laughs> you can audition for friendship, you know? Lunch. Let's lunch. And I'll see what what you can bring to the table. Really, this is a teaser where all the punchlines I have to save, and I can't say them out loud because they're uh, too they're too much. Um, but anyway, so today huge disaster dealing with late at night today, big big problems. But you know, I'm a pro, and we're pros, and we we are. I mean, we are hospitality geniuses over there. Anyway. Uh, that's neither here nor there. The point is, yesterday I wasn't working and I was going to record a podcast, and then uh, I didn't. Now, let me start this from the beginning. Two weeks ago or something, I'm hanging out with Maddie, and we're watching a movie, and it's getting kind of late, and it's kind of snowy outside, and it's kind of icy, and then at 11 or 11.30 or midnight or something, she's just like, can I just sleep here? And she's just laying right there. And she's like, I just want to sleep right here because she's so tired. And also, maybe more importantly, it was very icy outside. Actually, I think it was mostly only about the iciness, not the how she was tired. It was very icy. And then I, I sort of wasn't super into it because I stay up until she falls asleep at 11 p.m. And I fall asleep at 4, 4 a.m. And... It just doesn't make it super practical to sleep in the same fucking place. It's a little bit like if I split second decide that, okay, yeah, you can sleep here. Then she wants to go to bed. And then I have four more hours of video game playing that I want to do that I'm no longer going to do. So I'm just going to lay there awake in the dark and think about how usually, look, 
I live most of my life between midnight and 4 a.m., if I'm being honest with you, because I sleep until the moment I have to go to work, and then I go to work, and then when I get off work, I eat something, and then it's midnight, and then I live my life. Midnight to 4 a.m. It's the whole thing, and if I can't have that time for me, then what have I? Then what have I? What have I then? (laughs) Oh, man. A little bit of a Swedish sentence structure slipping slipping through the cracks there. All good. Doesn't matter. Not a problem. Um, but so I think two weeks ago when I was hanging out with Maddie and it was icy out, she could sense. I was like, yeah, you can sleep here. But she could sense that I was like, what would that mean? That would just mean me laying, not being able to sleep for like five hours. And if I'm being honest with you, she could sense that I wasn't super into it. So she was a martyr and she drove home on ice and it was terrifying. And I felt terrible about that. The moment she left, I immediately felt terrible because I was like, I live up in the mountains. It's a windy, very narrow, no shoulder cliff face right there. Just you're on the brink with your car and it's icy and it's dark, and it's late, and she drives like a, I was gonna, I was gonna insult her vehicle there, but it's like, she drives just like a normal car, like a city car, and she doesn't have chains, and she doesn't have special winter tires, it's funny, because in Sweden, we do not worry about this stuff, but it's, I guess it's different, I think in Sweden, legally, once you hit October or something, everyone just has to change to spiked tires it's just like a winter tire where you have really good traction and then when spring hits you have to change out of them because they really fuck up the roads if you drive on the using that spike tires too much so all of this is very new to me and i don't really know how to navigate the ethics of it but i think i navigated it wrong that day because it's it's like a really fearful thing to drive on an icy road in the winding mountain like you know so i should have let her sleep in my house so then yesterday i'm hanging out with maddie and i knew that this might be a thing so i check in with her beforehand and i'm like hey is there weather is there ice like i don't want to make you drive like if it's like scary or anything so we're not going to do that so i i ask all of those questions and then and then I asked them because I hadn't recorded a podcast. It was my day off. I was at the mall all day. I did a bunch of shopping. I bought a blazer because, because can I say that I'm a U-Haul lesbian? You know, because I'm a U-Haul lesbian. And, and I, I bought a blazer and it's really cool. And it's got this like really cool paisley lining. and But it's muted and it's got a nice expensive looking felt felt material and I'm really trying to talk myself into it but really I'm going to do this thing where I'm like I'm going to bring it to work tomorrow and I'm going to ask everyone to be honest and tell them that if this is not that cool I'm going to bring it back so tell me the truth is it cool and then hopefully they say it's cool and if if I sense any hesitation in the people when I ask them about my blazer I'm going to return this blazer because when something is 150 bucks you should be um you should be happy with it. Um, so I buy a blazer and then I hang out with Maddie in the evening and then I'm going to record a podcast like at 11 p.m. when she leaves. That's my plan for the day. And then we watch a movie and then at 11 p.m. 
she's sleepy. <laughs> oh, God, this is so funny. It's like, yeah, Maddie, I'm going to roast you on the podcast. I'm going to roast you on the podcast. This is the deal here. She thinks I'm mad at her because I let her sleep at my house, but I'm not mad at you at all. But there is a transaction here. The transaction isn't that I need an apology. The transaction isn't that I, you know, I'm mad at you. The transaction is just I need to be allowed to make fun of you and tell this entire story. I'm not even making fun of you. I need to just be allowed to tell the whole story on the podcast. That's what I get in return. Okay? That's how this works. And so at 11 p.m., she's sleeping and she's laying and she's like, she's laying down on the couch and she's like, can I just, can I just sleep right here? And, and it's like, I have five more hours to be awake, lady. And then I just remembered how I, what I thought about it last time. And sometimes we have to just, you know, there's so many things there. I talk about on the podcast all the time on how we need to have people in our lives and we need to have friends. And what it really means to have a friend and what it really means to like be with people in something which is larger than yourself is to put yourself not in the driver's seat. Put yourself in the back seat. You're not even sitting shotgun in your own life in this metaphor. Put yourself, you know, it's one of those fucking big station wagons that seats nine. Put yourself not all the way back where like the seat faces backwards, like that's the seat for like the nine-year-old to just shut him up. Put yourself in the third seat back, behind the back seat, but not all the way back. Put yourself there and just exist on someone else's time for once. Like when someone who's your friend that you purport to exist in a matrix with, just be on their time for once and don't focus on what you need in this moment. Because really, to satisfy all of our needs, we actually just need to be with each other and be friends and not just focus on how you need to play video games for four hours right now. And most importantly, you're not allowed to say, hey, you have to leave because I have to record a podcast. Because what does that really mean? What is podcasting if not masturbation? Can you tell your friend hey, you have to leave right now because I have to masturbate. Is that something that you are allowed to say? I don't think so. That is not allowed. And so I never said anything about my podcast, and I just didn't record a podcast. And that's what happened. Maddie got sleepy, and I was like, I my, my immediate first reaction was not super into the idea of her sleeping in my house. And then she spilled a little bit of hot water. <laughs> Maddie, this is so funny. This is so funny because I'm enjoying this because I know that she hates that I'm talking about this. We were watching uh, the Netflix documentary, Kai the Hatchet-Wielding Hitchhiker. And we were 15 minutes into it and I had made tea and then she made herself a second cup of tea. And when she went to sit down, she later blamed it on my couch because she said she was expecting the couch to give her better support. (laughs) She blamed my couch. It's my couch fault. But what happened is she sat down and she held the cup of tea over her thighs and she spilled super, super hot water on her milky white sensitive thighs and she started crying 
and it made me feel terrible. And I think it was actually kind of a little bit like, so this is conjecture now, but I think it's a little bit like one of those things where like you have a lot of emotions and stuff and work is really stressful and there's just so much you're dealing with. So you like are always a little bit on the brink of tears and then crying a big cry. Sometimes it's like maybe a little bit nice and cathartic. And <clears throat> I really, really wish that that was a thing for in my body too, but it's not, it's not allowed in my body and it's not an option in my body. And it's like, it's one of the problems. It's one of the, I, it's a feature I wish I had, you know, I don't have the model with all the features. Like women have more features than men. And my model doesn't have that feature where I can like cry and then feel better. So I just feel like shit all the time. And I wish I could pour hot water on myself and then let it all out, you know? Let all the hot water out of my tear ducts. Because Maddie let a lot of hot water out of her tear ducts. And then uh, it was never said out loud. But the the thing was that because she spilled hot water on her thigh, <laughs> she was then allowed to sleep at my house. So, So then... We watched a little bit more of the documentary, and I actually finished it, and the last 20 minutes of it were absolutely horrible. Like, they were so, it made me, oh, it made me so unhappy. It made me so sad and unhappy. It was actually like, it really left a deep darkness with me, because it was like this, it's a documentary about this guy that there was a meme video about. There was just a video, not meme video, it's a an internet video that went viral, where this guy seemed really earnest and he was just a hitchhiker who just jumped into a situation where some guy was attacking some other guy. And and he just seemed like such a good guy. And it helped that the guy who was attacking was a white, big 300-pound guy who was yelling the N-word. And the guy who was getting attacked was a black guy. So then this hitchhiker just jumps in and just hits the violent white guy in the head with a hatchet. And it's like really, um, it's like already a crazy story right there. But then he gets interviewed five minutes later by TV and he just has all these crazy hippie things to say. And he just goes on all these rants and he he just says a lot of funny things. And I remember watching that video a few times and then not knowing the next part of the story because the next part of the story is that they tracked him down, the Jimmy Kimmel show tracked him down, put him on TV, blah, blah, blah. So he's a homeless guy. He's just a drifter. But what happened is that he doesn't have a home. He just relies on the kindness of strangers. And I don't want to get graphic with it because it made me so upset and it was so sad. But what happened is that he was welcomed into the home of this old man and then they had a few beers and then he felt groggy and then he passed out because the old man drugged him and then raped him. And then he woke up and he was clearly, he'd been raped and he left and then he leaves and the old man buys him a train ticket to go to the next place where he's going and he's going to meet some friends and then the the old man also gives him his phone number and then his friends flake on him. So he takes the train to somewhere and he can't find his friends. So he calls the old man again because the old man had been like, hey, if you ever need a place to stay or need help, just just uh, I'll, I'll get you, I'll come get you. So he called the old man again and he was like, can I come back? I don't have anywhere to stay. So he, the old man drove and got him and let him stay at his house again and raped him again. And then he murdered the old man. 
That's the story. And that's like very dark and very sad and very horrible, but that's what happened. And then the documentarians take this horrible stance where they're like, we don't understand. He seemed so nice. And then he just murders some, someone for, for nothing. They literally say those words like, I can't believe he murdered that nice old man for nothing. That's what he said. And it's like, and then this police officer is like, well, if he raped him, why did he go back there? And it's like, there's so much there where like our modern understanding of pain and humanity and psychology and what it means and what it is to be a victim and how much you admit to yourself that you're a victim and what you admit yourself admit to yourself that you're a victim of and the timeline of that and the time it takes for you to admit to yourself and be honest and what we deny to even to ourselves at first and what trauma does and just everyone they interviewed all these different people that were like the neighbors and friends of the old man who was a rapist who got murdered and all the people were like well if he raped him why did he come back and it's like we are so the document the documentary was horrible against this hitchhiker man his hitchhiker boy who murdered the old man rapist because i don't know like we're we've always been horrible to women who are victims of rape and sexual assault or whatever. Like we have thousands of years of history of being horrible there. And then we're trying to be a little bit better with understanding how how it's like, it's okay that when you're a victim of something, you might act a little bit fucking irrational for a bit. You might like not do stuff that makes total sense. And that doesn't mean that you're not a victim. Like not the whole, the culprit, like the, 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 rapist isn't innocent just because you acted crazy afterwards and it's like we are getting a little bit better with this stuff when it comes to women but in this story in this case just because the victim was a man everything we've learned that we haven't learned very well and we still blame women a lot and the world is still a very horrible place and we're not very good at stuff but just because he's a man Everything was lost. And they just said horrible things about this victim hitchhiker boy who was raped by the old man. And they literally kept saying, I can't believe he murdered that old man for absolutely nothing. If, if the ma old man raped him, then, then, why, uh, then why would he go back there? It cannot be true. So... Maddie and me were watching this movie and Maddie fell asleep when there was 30 minutes left of the movie and she was spared the enormous emotional weight of, I wish I could cry right now in this moment after just the documentary left from such a, such a feeling of wanting to cry and just pain. And it's so unfair. And then they show this like grainy prison footage of the hitchhiker boy and being like, dude, like, all these rapists, they never get punished. And, and like, it was just self-defense. And then the cops are like, well, it didn't seem like self-defense. Yeah, anyway, so Maddie fell asleep and she missed the end of the video. So she, end of the movie. So she didn't have to bear the weight of it. 
and then she fell asleep. And then I just decided to exist on her time. And I just tried to go to bed early. And I did. And I had a very good night's sleep. And I have nothing. And I, 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 I fell asleep at like 2 a.m. maybe? 2, 2.15? Had a little, little tiny tinsel, little thimble of NyQuil. Little bit minimum amount of melatonin. Fell asleep at 2.15 a.m., slept a good nine hours, woke up completely rested. Maddie woke up so quietly, didn't disturb me at all. Point of the story, I have nothing to be mad at Maddie about, and she shouldn't feel guilty, and she apologized so many times because she's a big, big apologizer. And we talk about that a lot, how how it's like, what do you do when someone when someone's personality disorder is that they apologize too much. Because it doesn't help to say, hey, don't apologize. It doesn't help to say, hey, you have nothing to apologize for. I have proposed this and tried it, and she's agreed a little bit, that it's actually quite funny and maybe useful to when someone apologizes way too much for absolutely nothing because they're just being like a self-effacing um, a person performing womanhood. It's actually kind of funny and useful to say, yeah, you should apologize and to lean into it that way. Cause then they, then that maybe makes a person snap out of it and be like, okay, I see what you're saying. I shouldn't be apologizing. And because it, it, it's like a form of inception where it's, it's like you're training the person in front of you to, to feel like it's their idea to realize that they shouldn't apologize. <laughs> Oh, that's so, I I said that in such a condescending way, but really what I am, what I am saying is that I relate to everything about Maddie's experience because I, because I am like her. I am like Maddie and I'm a, I'm a little bit older than her. I'm 10 years older than her. I'm 36. She's 26. So that I, there is, I do experience it as with each year of life lived, I calm down a little bit and I become a little bit more centered and I become a little bit more used to just, this is just how it is. So I expect it all and I just feel, and it, it just, the peaks, the roller coaster of it, with each year, it's a little bit less. And so I used to be worse where I had no ability to stand up for myself at all. And now... I don't know. I mean, I still apologize like a motherfucker. Like there was this problem at work. Like I was emailing with payroll. I don't even know how to explain this, but like I was emailing with payroll because there had been like a little mistake on someone's paycheck and we fixed the mistake. And then I just asked like, why did, why it happens? And then like that just, I lost so much sleep over that because it was as if I was criticizing someone. And I Really don't mean to. And it's like, it's like there are these memes on the internet about like what it's like to be a mid-20s woman criticizing someone. And and you, whatever you say, you sandwich it with like, oh, I'm really not trying to be an imposition and I'm so sorry to even bring this up. And it's like, you really should just stand up for yourself and just say what you want to say. Just make a good point. Just, just make a meaningful, succinct point. If there is a problem, just say what the problem is. Don't worry about apologizing for it. Don't worry about like the politics or the personalities or the emotions. Just like if something needs to be said, just say it. And that is so hard for 
the small wafer thin souls of us. I'm so sensitive about everything all the time. And so this there was a little bit of emailing at work and it was a little bit like I had caused a problem. The thing is, I didn't do anything wrong and my boss didn't do anything wrong. And we're emailing a little bit back and forth about this question I had raised and I lost so much sleep over this. And then today I got to apologize and then my boss was like, it's absolutely no problem. And I felt so good hearing her say that. God, I just respect her so much. And actually, I think I'd be better at my job. I'd be, everything would just be better if I didn't need so much validation. <laughs> you just need so much fucking validation. It's so funny. I just have to apologize all the time. And then I just need people to accept my apology. It's so fucking funny. So I'm exactly like Madison and Maddie is so bad at driving late at night and she gets so sleepy and then she was still going to drive and then she spilled a little bit of hot water on her thigh. (laughs) She spilled hot water on her thigh, okay, so she can't drive because she spilled hot water on her thigh and it made her cry so much and you can't drive after crying a bunch. (laughs) It's so funny because I know that Maddie hates hearing this. It's so amusing to me. It's so amusing to me too. It's so amusing, (laughs) but it's said with love, you know, because in the end, what happened is that I went to bed at a much more reasonable time, and I actually had a much better night's sleep than if I had just played like a bad video game until 4.30 a.m. Instead, I had a really good night's sleep, went to work, did a really good job today. Really, really difficult. You know when you have a problem? You know when you're going about your day and everything seems normal and then someone comes at you and they say like two sentences that just changes everything and suddenly the gravity changes and you just slow yourself down and you just realize in the moment, you realize, okay, so this situation here is like important and if I make a mistake here, If I overcompensate in this direction, we might lose tens of thousands of dollars. You know how like sometimes in life, in work, there's just like an enormous issue that comes up and you're like, if I go too far in this direction, we might lose tens of thousands of dollars for this reason. And if I go too far in the other direction, we might lose tens of thousands of dollars for an opposite reason. So I have to toe the line and just strike this balance and just talk to the person in front of me who is freaking out about something that's very big to them and maybe to us and you just cool their jets and you just listen to them and you let them say what they need to say so that they feel heard and you actually absorb what they're saying because you're a human being and they're a human being and so much of hearing about a problem is to is just the hearing It's not about solving the problem. It's just about hearing the person say that they have a problem and then telling them, let me restate back to you what you just said to me so that you know that I have heard that you have this problem. And then like, that's like 90% of interfacing with guests. 
problem problem solving with guests. Like customer service is mostly just making people feel heard. And oh boy, it was a stressful day in the old in the old Wakatiki, you know. There was things coming upriver and there was things coming downriver, you know, the old steamboat. The old steamboat captain, he wasn't the kitchen gods, were not smiling upon us today. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. Listen, Maddie, I love you. You're one of my best friends, and I really value your friendship. And um, that means that sometimes I need to uh, explain on the podcast that you, much like myself, you're a highly sensitive person. And, and if you spill hot water on your on your inner thigh, you can't drive. So with that, let's review our first water. Um, we're bringing it back to basics. We're doing three sparkling waters, and they are all berry-flavored. This one is Passion Fruit Blueberry from Polar Seltzer. Family-made since 1888. God, that sounds like a lie. I cannot be... I Just intuitively, I know that it's not true. You know who... You know who is really good at intuiting things? Not me. My best friend, Sebastian... He has his skill. And I don't like, I remember this one time I showed him a picture from me on the street or something. And there was a sign in the background where it says, uh, Boys and Girls Club or something. Boys and Girls Clubs of America. That's what it's called. Boys and Girls Clubs of America. And then he saw that sign in the background and he was like, huh, that's the kind of thing where you can hear from how the name just does not roll off the tongue that it's like, a thing that used to be called something just for boys. And then they had to like put the girls in there because, you know, equality. But you can just hear on the name that it used to be something that wasn't so much about equality. And I looked at that sign and I was like, I don't see it. Like to me, it's just a sign. To me, when I look at that sign and that name, I think I just read it. I just accept it at face value and I don't understand I don't see that there's history there where it used to be some name that was a better name that was just for boys or whatever. And then I Google it and it's like, yeah, it used to be called Boys Clubs. Boys Clubs of America. Sebastian is so good at identifying where they're you. It's maybe because he's a little bit more of an alt-right motherfucker than me, you know? One part of being a little bit alt-right is to be really, really hypersensitive to PC shit. Me, I just kind of go with it. I'm like, to me, it's absurd that, oh God, I'm such a virtue signaling fucking cuck. To me, it's absurd that there was even a time when girls weren't in the Boy Scouts. Wah, my name is Joachim. I just want liberals to think I'm cool. Wah, I'm virtue signaling. Wah, wah, wah. Listen to me. Look at me. I'm doing a good job. I'm virtue signaling. All right, fuck it. That's me. Um, that's me uh, blowing my own brains out. All good. Uh, so yeah, we missed this. So um, what I can what I can intuit though is that when Polar Seltzer, the fucking grocery store chain, sparkling water, when it says family made since 1888, I can tell that that's not true. It's probably not family made. Family made. What is that? Family made is such fucking obnoxious uh, marketing. Like, it makes it sound like there's a room. They live in a in a like a wood fired stove 
all wood paneling cottage in the woods. And in their living room, there's like three generations of men of the same family. There's like an 11 year old and he's sort of getting into the trade. And then there's like a 29 year old. And then there's like the 50 year old grandfather. And all three of them are bottling sparkling water in their living room. And it's fa- and they look up at you and they say, family made since 1882. And it's like, what do you mean made? What do you mean family made? What does that mean? Let's let's try it. All right, it smells really blueberry. Yeah, that does taste a little bit like someone made it and they didn't wash their hands before they made it. That's a two out of ten, I think. That wasn't very good. Let me talk about something completely different. Uh, there's this weird memory from when I was a kid. I think this actually had an enormous psychological effect on me. When I was like 10 or 11 years old, it was revealed to my family. And the way it was revealed was that, all right, where do I start the story? My mom was always like, I was going to say homemaker, but homemaker is like means housewife in American parlance. My mom always had a job. She was like a dental assistant, and then she retrained while being a dental assistant because she always wanted to be a teacher, and she trained herself to be a teacher. And now she's been a teacher for like 15 years or whatever, but um, she always had this... My mom is really like this incredibly stable person, and she takes care of the home, and she keeps her home very clean and neat, And she has a good sense of minimalist Scandinavian style, even though we were like lower middle class. So a lot of like just a simple pot with a single blade of grass in it on a windowsill, a lot of just like open white color, a lot of empty space, a lot of playing with negatives, a lot of like very muted colors and natural fibery materials and linens and like gray muted colors with like one accent thing going on just like a beautiful home right so we live in this kind of beautiful home it's still the 90s so it's not that beautiful and it's not that minimalist because the 90s is really like the darkest of dark ages when it comes to uh, design there's this ad that's always showing in new york times even though i fucking pay for it there's still ads and it's the i think it's a cadillac or a chevy commercial or something And it's just this interactive uh, banner ad on a website where where you look at it and it's a blue background and there's a car, but it's a car sliced up where like it's like 20, it's like 10 different slices. And when you hover over a slice, it shows um, a car from a decade, from a specific decade. So when you hover over the part of the car that's furthest to the left, it shows the Chevy from a hundred years ago. And then when you show hover over the next slice, it it expands and shows you the Chevy from 90 years ago and then 80 and then 70. So as you drag your mouse across, it like shows you all the different cars and the evolution of this Chevy from like 190, 70, 80, 60, counting down like each decade. And they are very typical. And of their decades, as you look at them, really look at them. And then you get to the last two, the like Chevy of the nineties and the Chevy of the aughts. And it's so clear to me that we will look back on this era as like, those cars look like shit. 
That's absolute, there, it's just an incredible boringification of design. Like we lost so much. And I saw this one picture on the internet where they took sort of the details, the minute details off of different cars. And then they showed 20 different car brands, like their sort of medium sedan model. Up, they held them up next to each other in the, and just put them up next to each other in this big picture. And what it showed is like that the medium sedan from like 20 different cars, actually, it's the exact same car. Like there's just been, there's been, the, oh, wow, I'm like um, sliding into speaking German here, but there's been this slide into averageification into just homogenization of the design choices, probably because of something with the factories and they make like interchange, all the f same factories make all the cars now or something, where the cars used to have these like incredibly different shapes and parts. And now because we're getting so fucking sleek with our factories, everything is one factory. So all the cars look the same now, apparently. It's like one of those things, like I never knew anything about cars. And then I have these like revelations where I'm like, oh, there's been like an incredible death of design when it comes to cars. Like I had no idea. And there's just something, man, design is so diffuse. It's so abstract and hard to put your finger on. Like it's so hard to make, like we stumble around and then we end up with things that can look, that can be, feel, make us feel like just be so amazing. Like. Like how Ablo, Ablo, that guy, the designer guy who made that one Al Kanye West album. Ablo, he made this one album um, cover for Kanye West where it's really just the whole, the, he made the album cover, but there is no album cover. The case is clear and there's a red sticker on it. And that's the whole thing. And then he does a two hour talk on how that like, they stumbled upon this incredible, I listened to the whole fucking thing. It's a guy talking for two hours about how like, they just stumbled upon this incredibly simple, and it's not that they stumbled because they worked extremely hard. They like literally made a thousand prototypes of like every single shade of red that they could come up with to see what's the brightest, most evocative shade of red. And then like all these different shapes of sticker on clear CD case. So they made a million things just to end up with this thing that looks like no work was put into it. But then, and then he talks about how incredibly beautiful it is. And it's even sampled in a Drake song where, where there's like, <clears throat> what's his first name? Virgil. His name is Virgil Abloh. Abloh. And he's even sampled in, in a Drake song where he goes, like, we weren't supposed to come up with something this clean. Like, something happened. And it's so weird because it's a mix of, like, you stumble upon beauty, but you work extremely hard to get to beauty. And it's like, once you get to beauty, you just want to, you don't want to explain to anyone how you got there. But secretly, you don't know how to explain it. So everyone chooses to then pretend like it was easy to get there. And it's like, yeah, I just kind of like came up with this thing as if you didn't work super hard. Because once you, there's something so weird about it. Like with, with shit that isn't poetic, we really want to exaggerate how hard we worked on it. Like I worked so fucking hard on this boring thing. And that's why you need to pay me so much money. But then when it comes to the poetic, we want to pretend to not have worked hard on it.
It's such a weird dynamic. It really reminds me of this one time where when I back when I was living in Lund, I just um it was super hard to get apartments, rental apartments, because we have a system in Sweden where the government fucking decides what the rent is or some shit. I don't even understand it, but you you register with um I mean, real estate agents, they're not real estate agents, but like just these rental um companies you register with them and put yourself in a line it's there's a queue system but the queue can it literally for like the most attractive form of like probably a two-bedroom is maybe the most popular in stockholm the most popular area the rent isn't high like it's still just like probably 700 bucks for a two-bedroom in downtown stockholm but the queue system makes it so that you just get in the back of the line and then you have to wait 25 years to get an apartment. Like, how is that, how are we supposed to do free market stuff when that's your liquidity? When that's your like free market liquidity? It's insane. So that clearly um, makes it so that there's a big black market. So once you have a contract, you sublet, you secretly sublet illegally or whatever. So I subletted some places, but then also like my sister used to cut hair and um, she was cutting this lady's hair all the time and they became friends. I Honestly, I don't know this lady. I don't think they became very good friends. And I think she cut her hair just a couple of times, but the lady was like, yeah, I, r- I run the fucking, the rental company. So, you know, if you ever need a rental place, just tell me and I'll, I'll push you to the front of the line. So, my sister got an apartment and then I needed an apartment. And so I, my sister was like, yeah, I'll get you an apartment too. And so I just go on the website. It's a shitty fucking weird website where you get tens of thousands, where tens of thousands of people go to get tens of thousands of apartments after waiting for hundreds of years. And so I click the fucking register or whatever. And I register and I fill out this very web 1.0 form because the lady was like, yeah, you still have to fill out the form. The way we cheat is that you have to fill out the form and then I can go in in the back end and just change the data and be like, yeah, he fucking filled this form out 10 years ago. So let's give him an apartment now. So I fill out the form as if I'm playing by the rules and then we completely cheat and she, complete corruption. She just gets me an apartment. It's a great apartment and it's like only a few hundred bucks and it's beautiful. It has a balcony. It has like beautiful, like skinny band hardwood floors in this like fishbone pattern and tall high ceilings. And just the molding is beautiful. The kitchen is new. Everything is like beautiful. I, I have like space where there's like a dining area in the kitchen where I can like seat six people and like a big uh living room and then like this weird nook in the living room where it was a one bedroom weird nook in the living room where there's a bed like it's like inset into the wall and then the previous tenant had like built this platform unit with like storage so you climb up a ladder and get in the bed and there's like you're probably five feet above the floor when you're in bed and there's all the storage under you Great amount of storage, beautiful lighting, just like a wonderful apartment. And I remember being so proud of this apartment. And then Ingrid, my friend who is not 
lower middle class, my friend who's like, knows stuff. Her and her brother who studied architecture but found the architecture school to be to not really truly care about beauty in the way he really needed it to care about beauty so he kept quitting architecture school and they kept begging for him to come back because he's like such a genius that they want him to come back but he like hasn't finished architecture school so he like works in a grocery store because he's like such a pure genius that he can't debase himself by actually doing the work so he knows everything about it and he knows these are people who really truly know about beauty. And then I they came to my apartment and I remember them talking about the windows and it's like it's like large windows with this like very simple white wooden frame. And there was just something and it's from the 1960s and there was this like strange brutalist minimalism in the 1960s and I remember them just talking about how I couldn't even be part of the conversation because I don't know anything about anything, but they were speaking to each other and they were talking about how in the 60s, we just stumbled upon so much form that was beautiful and so much architecture and form in houses and interior design was just from the 60s. It's just so beautiful and it's so timeless and like it's impossible to Imagine that they knew at the time that what they were doing was the best work we'll ever have. But it's like better than any of the work for a hundred years previous or a hundred years after. It's just the form of the 60s and the form of this very simple windowsill from this building that's from the 60s. It's so beautiful. And I remember feeling so proud that I got to live in that apartment and looking at the simplicity of the white 1960s frame around my windows. And it's just so much better than what we have today. And then you have all this modern stuff where they, they, I mean, it's not like they want to make something ugly. It's not like they're not trying, but maybe they're trying too hard. And they're just living in a time when we don't have form. We don't have beauty. The early aughts, or even worse, the 90s. Like, what are you, you kidding me? You kidding me? Everything sucks. Virgil Abloh, though. Ablau? Virgil Abloh? Virgil? Everyone just calls him Virgil. Drake calls him Virgil. It's like Drake and Kanye West, they hate each other, but, but they agree on Virgil. They both think of Virgil was the best. Okay. Nothing that I just said had anything to do with the story, really. Because what I was saying is, when I was 10 or 11 years old, I lived in this house and the house was real nice. My mom did what she could with these simple things and the simple amount of money that we had. And somehow my mom's friend mentioned to her, hey, all of your clothes smell like mold and you don't notice it because you live in that house. But I think your entire house is like full of mold. And then... She, she was like, because, and I know this because my friend had this incredibly, like, devastating mold problem in all the insula insulation in all of the walls. And they had to rip out all the insulation in all of the walls and replace all of it. And her, all of her shit smelled the same as your shit. Like, your shit smells, it's the same kind of mold. So we had this, like, 
completely crazy mold problem at the house that we were all completely unaware of because it's like deep, deep in the walls. So acid spreads in all of your walls and then eventually gets into your entire house and becomes this enormous thing. It's such a like slow process that probably happens over years. And it's such a like... uh the frog doesn't jump out of the boiling water because you raise the temperature of the boiling water so slowly type of process that we never knew until my mom's friend, and I never met this friend, I don't know who it is, but this is how it was told to me. Man, all my memories from that part of my life are like the lighting is really, really bad. It's really dark. We're really saving a lot on electricity. And it's really cold out and the sun is never up. Like the sun is up for like three hours in the winter. But all my memories from this era are like, it's really the dark ages. Like how we imagine medieval times in popular cinema, that sort of like dungeons and dark light and everything is lit by like a little bit of one one lantern, one um, torch, one piece of thing on fire bottom lit whispering as you have your only source of light is like below you and it's a warm firelight and it's flickering and it's not strong and and most of the features in the face are dark and you whisper that's like what most of my memories are from this period but so there were whisperings about how my mom's friend and then it just led to this thing where as a family in whispers, we just realized that we all had been smelling like mold, maybe for years. And we pulled all, all the insulation was pulled out of our house. We went and stayed somewhere else. You know, it doesn't take forever. It maybe took them like fucking a week or two to pull all the insulation, put in new insulation, patch all the walls back up. Because they really had to like do the whole thing. And the whole thing was fucked. And upstairs and downstairs, you know, this is like a fucking townhouse with probably, you know, with like seven bedrooms, like a tiny, all the rooms are tiny, but you get seven of them bitches in there. It's like a small house with tons of rooms, which means tons of walls, which means tons of insulation. And it was just like weird, yellow, spongy, shitty insulation that got wet in the incredible, constant, deep rain of the Swedish countryside. And so we were smelling like mold. And as a family in whispers, we all sort of like learned or like it dawned on us slowly that we have all been smelling like mold and no one has told us. And the only one who had a real friend was like my mom's friend. Not even that. It's it's not because it's not even really that helpful or actionable to tell someone, hey, you kind of smell bad you kind of smell like mold. In Sweden, people don't tell each other that, apparently. And so what it really sort of, for me, in terms of like being 11 years old and developing a self-image and all this stuff, it really gave me sort of a trust issue where like there can be things that you, like big things about yourself that you don't know that everyone else knows. There can be, and those things can be bad and everyone can know it. And everyone, when you leave the room, everyone knows it and they don't even say it out loud anymore because it's so obvious. 
Maybe once in a while it gets mentioned, but never in front of you. Big things about your self-image, about who you are, about the things you say, about if you're smart or not smart, if you're funny or not funny, if you smell bad or smell good, like big things about how people experience you can be really bad and you will not know. And years can go by. And it's like having that experience at 11 years old, I think it really, (laughs) I think it really fucked me up to like, just, I think I just accept that everything sucks. I think I just walk around with incredible paranoia and also just resignation. Paranoia and resignation. And then there was this like weird other angle where like we would meet other families and like in whispers, they would describe how they had gone through the same process of like, yeah, we had to pull all the insulation of our moldy ass house like three years ago. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, how did you find out? Yeah, like someone at work was like, yeah, you you smell like fucking mold, bro. And it's always like someone around you has heard of someone else having a mold problem and linking up that yeah your mold is you you got this mold problem that my buddy had the way you smell man dude all of your shit smells like mold you smell bad and then it's like you sit with another family and you look at each other and you're like yeah we we're both pieces of shit like everyone hates us and you guys everyone they probably hate you too because we all smelled bad I don't know, man. It's weird. Let's drink a water. So I got three three uh, berry-flavored ones. We're doing blackberry again. Gold Emblem. Unsweetened blackberry and raspberry sparkling water. Uh, zero calories. Let's try it. Let's smell it. That really smells like raspberries. Yeah, I mean, look. The berry ones, it's just bad taste. It's just tacky. It's like there's so many citrus fruits in the world and the citrus fruits are so good. And then all this berry stuff, it's like there isn't the way you can get essence of citrus from the peel, the way you can get citrus oil. There's just not enough oil in a raspberry to get something truly to really get the essence. Yeah, that's so fucking bad. And then they try to approximate berry flavors with chemicals, but then they can never really get it quite right, so they always name it two berries. They say, oh yeah, this is mixed berry, or this is blackberry and raspberry, so that your mind is like, yeah, it does kind of taste like some kind of berry, doesn't it? But it's really just like, it's giving up before it's finished. Really is what it is. It's giving up before it's finished. You know, okay, that reminds me of this other thing. Ah, this is tough because I want to talk about it, but I talked about it with Maddie yesterday, and it's like, I it's so crazy how I've been watching some of these uh, superhero movies, and it's crazy how when the superhero movies, when it doesn't go good for the movie, when the movie is a, a bomb in the box office and they don't make a lot of money, they just let the director or some new guy re-edit the movie and they just re-release it i think it's so this fascinates me as someone who like wrote a novel 
and then probably spent 10 years editing it. And then at some point just like found myself just saying very arbitrarily. And it's, it's a, it was a very magical act. Like it's a very unrealistic act. That's not saying I'm done. It, it It's done. It's over now. Like it's a very sort of like whimsical, not connected to, like it's one of the least smart. Like we do so many things where we rely on our smarts and we use brains. It was like the most, no part of my brain was involved when I decided that it's done. It was only my heart. And it's so arbitrary when we say something is done. And so like there's the... What's the uh, Watchmen? The Watchmen movie had like a weird two versions where the first one flopped. So they just like let the director. Okay, the Watchmen 2009. I just Googled it. There's three versions. There's the theatrical cut. There's the director's cut. And there's the ultimate cut. And they range from 162 minutes to 215 minutes. Like, first of all, what are you doing, man? Like, what are you doing? Have you, like, do you understand what a movie is? Do you understand, like, what it feels like to be a human being and sit down and experience something? And that there's, like, a limit to how long the human body can just sit before we experience extreme discomfort. Like, we can't just sit for 215 minutes without doing something else in between. So what are you doing? You're, like... Is this two things? Is this something where you watch first half and then you pause and then you go make a snack and you fucking make a phone call and you like, you know, pay some bills on your computer and you like check Facebook and read the news a little bit and then you watch the second half? Like, what is this? What are you, what are you trying to do here? And then, so I watched Justice League a few days ago and it was a huge flop and they didn't make any money. And then they let Zack Snyder come back and just re-edit it. And he made it a four-hour movie. And again, it's like, like what? How far have you strayed from understanding what a viewer is? And then, hey, that one wasn't successful. So, okay, so the original one was called Justice League. And then he... um, and then Zack Snyder was allowed to rework it because Joss Whedon had apparently had too much creative control in the original version. So Zack Snyder gets to rework it. And then that's re-released as Zack Snyder's Justice League. And then that also doesn't go very well. So then they release Zack Snyder's Justice League. Justice is gray. Like Zack Snyder's Justice League colon subtitle and the subtitle is Justice is Grey and it's called Justice is Grey because they just did the same film but same four hour film but they made it black and white like bro you are so bad at this these people are so bad at this because what they really want is the Dogma Manifesto the Dogma 95 Manifesto where Lars von Trier in 1995 explained the tenets of proper filmmaking, which is, you know, only use natural lighting. Do not have a gun on set. There are no guns. Good, a good movie never has a gun. No artificial lighting. No fucking gimmicks. Okay, let's go through all of them because it's just so important. Rule number one, shooting must be done on location. 
Props and sets must not be brought in. If a particular prop is necessary for the story, a location must be chosen where the prop is to be found. You're not allowed to bring in any props because it looks fucking fake. You go into the room and you tell the story in the room. If you need to bring in a hammer into the room, then walk into a workshop where there's already a hammer, tell the story in that workshop. That's it. Rule number one. Two, the sound must never be produced apart from the images or vice versa. Uh, Music must not be used unless it occurs where the scene is being shot. You don't add music. You don't add sound. It's like there's the scene, there's, there's, there's sound in the scene, and if you need music, play the music while you're shooting it so that the actor so that it's one cohesive thing so that it's not this thing where you like add the fucking harp music afterwards it's like you tell a story and it's about humanity it's about it's like it's about the human condition where it's not about these frills and gimmicks it's about like two people are having a conversation and their emotions are floating back and forth between the two people and this is what it feels like to be a human being And this is what we're trying to tell, like, we're trying to tell, excuse me, a little bit of a burp there. We're trying to tell stories here about what it's like to be a human being. And we're trying to tell those stories back to ourselves. And we're trying to teach ourselves something real. And you cannot do that with a CGI monster in a CGI world being fought by a man covered in armor. And the armor is all CGI where there's like, a, a, quad, a one quarter of his face is visible and reality and everything else is computer-generated imagery. Like, there is no humanity teaching, teaching itself there. It doesn't exist. Rule number three, the camera must be handheld. Any movement or immobility attainable in the hand, any movement or immobility attainable in the hand is permitted. Yeah. You just do it handheld camera. That's it. The film must be in color. Special lighting is not acceptable. If there's too little light for exposure, the scene must be cut or a single lamp must be attached to the camera. That's it. Single lamp can be attached to the camera. It's so austere. It's like, look, you have an actor. The actor says things and feel things. It's not, Everything else is distracting. All this stuff where you have like all these people around all these structures all these light fixtures a fucking grip uh, all this stuff it's just distraction it's like we're trying to get to something important here optical work and filters are forbidden that's rule number five rule number six the film must not contain artificial action murders weapons etc must not occur no art no no not artificial superficial i read it wrong the, the film must not contain superficial action, murders and weapons. No murders, no weapons. Those are not the real stories. Those things are an attempt to just turn the volume up to 10 to catch everyone's attention. But we've made so many tens of thousands of pieces of art where there was a murder and there was a weapon that you've broken. That frequency is broken. It's like how... Jordan Peele has this thing he says where he's like, I'll, I'll never make a movie with white people because it, that frequency is broken, bro. There's already too many of that. It's not that it's logically impossible or like by definition impossible to make a good story and good movie with white people. It's just that 
we've tried that so many times that it would be just, what's the word? Just nonsensical. It would just be nonsensical to keep going with that. And the same thing goes for murders and weapons. It's We've done it too much. Rule number seven, temporal and geographical alienation are forbidden. That is to say that the film takes place here and now. Yeah, no more of this like, oh yeah, let's pretend it's the 12th century. No, you're in a house. It's right now. What's going on? Tell me how you feel. Don't lie to me. Everything, all this stuff is just about stop lying. Stop lying with your lighting. Stop lying with, oh, let's pretend like it's 40 years from now. Oh, let's let's pretend like his face is really well lit and he had a gun and he had all these props. Rule number eight, genre movies are not acceptable. Rule number nine, the film format must be Academy 35 millimeter. Rule number 10, the director must not be credited. Oh, oh, how austere is that? And then, um, oh my God. And then, and then there's like this fucking weird um, paragraph of text at the end of the manifesto. Furthermore, I swear as a director to refrain from personal taste, exclamation mark. I am no longer an artist. I swear to refrain from creating a work, quote, quote unquote work, as I regard the instant as more important than the whole. My supreme goal is to force the truth out of my characters and settings. I swear to do so by all the means available and at the cost of any good taste and any aesthetic considerations. Thus, I make my vow of chastity. And vow of chastity is all capital letters. It's so beautiful. It's just like, you're not doing anything. There is no director. There's just like, There's ideas and there's a little bit of a script and a little bit of a rehearsal and there's two people in front of the camera and there's nothing fake going on. And like, how do they really feel though? God, God, the dogma. And then each movie that was certified dogma was had the title screen in the beginning said like dogma and then a number. So the first movie that was ever made that followed these rules was dogma number one. And it was the movie, The Celebration from 1998. Incredible movie. I love that movie. Julian Donkey Boy was dogma number six by Harmony Corinne. So fucking crazy. Harmony Corinne that made kids. Breaking the Waves. And then Von Trier made so many fucking dogma movies. The best one being The Idiots from 1998, which is probably my favorite movie. Oh, what was I saying? I don't remember. Maybe I should drink another water. So the third one here is Voss. Raspberry Rosé. Let's smell it. I can just, just cracking it open, this fucking obnoxious uh, glass cylinder that the Voss comes in, and watching these like really, really pretentiously fine, tiny bubbles these like aesthetic over truth. Like there's no truth here. These bubbles are so small. They were brought in as props. They are not truth. They were not here. I do not believe these bubbles. These bubbles are are not, they're lying to me. I fucking hate this water. God, 
unsweetened, zero calories, natural flavors, raspberry rosé. You know the worst thing about this? It's fucking Norwegian. Voss. You know, as Swedes, we vacillate because we're right there in between the Danes and the Norwegians. Half truth and half lie, because the Danes are so honest. They're so real. Only the Danes could come up with the Dogma 95 Manifesto. And only the Norwegians could lie and give us Voss. Let's smell it. it. Smells terrible. Let's try it. Oh, is that even carbonated? It's like the emperor is wearing no, the, the bottle has no carbonation. But no one will admit to that. Yeah. That's a negative 500 out of 10. That's probably the worst score I've ever given any water. But that's what happens. Um, okay, let's let's talk about some things I've been thinking about, like from reading the news and stuff. So I always talk about QAnon, and I always fucking regret talking about QAnon. But QAnon has a fucking mind-blowing dynamic to it, where QAnon is this cult. But it like doesn't really have members or a leader or anything. Because as soon as someone, the media loves to talk about QAnon, as soon as someone who believes in the QAnon conspiracy does anything of prominence because they believe in the QAnon stuff so much, as soon as they don't do in, as soon as they do anything that's so note, noteworthy that the regular media talks about it, they immediately consume their own. They immediately eat their own. So like most recently or like one of the recent things here is like the Paul Pelosi attack. Paul Pelosi is Nancy Pelosi's husband. Um, It was a QAnon guy who hated Nancy Pelosi and he broke into their home. Nancy wasn't there, but Paul was there. And then immediately and then the guy attacked eventually he attacked paul pelosi with a hammer cracking his head open and then immediately like very very quickly the narrative that was created by the QAnon people was that this was a thing that happened where the guy who attacked him was actually paul pelosi's lover they're gay lovers and these people hate gay people so Imagine, just imagine for a moment, being that guy who spend, you spend your whole life on QAnon message boards, and you believe in all of it so much, and you believe that Nancy Pelosi is the devil, and she's a pedophile, and she's eating children, and, and she's demonic, and she might be a lizard person, and there's all these absolutely wild, deep state beliefs about her, and you just believe it so much that you think you can make the world a better place for the world for your children, you don't have any children because you're an incel, but but for your brethren on the message board that you get in your car and you go all the way to Nancy Pelosi's house and you sneak into her house and you attack her husband. And as soon as you do, all of your brethren say that you're a faker and a gay and you are just part of some sort of lover's tryst where... There's jealousy or it's just two lovers. It's just two gay, just two fags fighting, you know? And now the media is covering it up. 
and the media is saying that it was a QAnon guy, but it cannot be a QAnon guy because it's never a QAnon guy. So like, imagine that dynamic that the moment you're, you actually do something meaning, noteworthy, not meaningful, but noteworthy, something that's noteworthy enough to make it onto a TV screen, to make it onto the news, in, as soon as that happens, all of the people that are that you sit shoulder to shoulder with on all those message boards immediately turn on you, and now they hate you. And then consider how crazy is it that this is the dynamic every single time? Like January 6th was, because the Paul Pelosi attack was one guy, right? And then they turn on him and say he was just a gay, and he was Paul Pelosi's boyfriend, and they just had a fight because they're lovers and gay guys are crazy. And then imagine January 6th, not one guy. It's like 10,000 people. But when they actually do it and actually break into the Capitol, immediately all the people on the message boards, all the people who actually believe in the QAnon thing are turn on them and say, look, that was just Antifa. And it's always a black flag fake attack to make the QAnon people look bad. So it's like there literally are no famous QAnon people that the QAnon people like. Because as soon as someone becomes known, they turn on that person. Even Q himself, who probably is this like half Asian Watson character, Rick, Ron Watson, Ron Watson. It's pro- that's probably who Q is. From the documentary, he just like ran the message board and then he wrote those crazy messages. And like, it's sort of obvious that he's Q, but all the QAnon people hate him. And then even like Alex Jones himself was always this champion of these conspiracy theories. But then, then they turned on him and just say and said, Alex Jones works for the deep state. And that was like his coming to Jesus moment when Alex Jones himself was like, wow, all of this is crazy because... They just pick someone randomly and say that person works for the deep state. And he sort of, in a moment, I honestly really believe from listening to him talking about this, I really believe that he, for a glimpse, he had this single moment of clarity that then left him and then he became crazy again. But for a moment, when he talks about it, you can see how he realized that that's just what he himself has been doing. He's just in no flimsy to no ground. On flimsy to no ground has he been accusing people of super esoteric extreme stuff of working for the deep state or being a lizard person or all this stuff, where he's really just pontificating and going with his gut and really just ranting. You know what I'm saying? So he was always pushing all these new, he came up with a lot of conspiracy theories. He was always pushing the newest one. It was always like Sandy Hook is staged. Everyone is a crisis actor. Everyone on TV is fake. Everyone is faking it. And then the moment the movement turned on him and said, Alex Jones is faking it. In that moment, he realized, oh, I've been accusing all these people of faking it. And I wasn't really basing it on anything. And in that moment, he's like, yeah, it's so beautiful. He's so honest. It's so crazy. It's so, like, it's so much like, it's so simplifying to call him a performance artist because he's clearly, like, a political action figure. Like, he's clearly a political force who, like, shifts actual power in America and, like, you know, 
in abstract ways and then also in very concrete ways of just talking to Trump and stuff. But like he's clearly a very powerful person who's not joking. But at the same time, I think his experience of being alive is probably most comparable to a performance artist. Like someone who fucking lives in a weird glass box in an art gallery or something because they want to make some point about some stupid shit. Like you're just doing things... You're just staying on a track that doesn't make any sense because you're like, yeah, this will probably make some point. Like, that's probably what it feels like to be Alex Jones. It's just such a crazy dynamic to have basically a religion that cannot have any leaders because as soon as anyone rises to any level of prominence and they say that they believe in this religion they immediately get consumed and they are immediately hated by every believer of the religion. Like, it's really a crazy thing. It's so, like, over the edge of the side of the flat earth, crazy, extreme contrarianism. Like, it's so overly contrarian that you can never have any leaders. And it's really, like, the only leader it ever really had because the person is not really a person and because the person exists kind of outside of any sort of real understanding, Donald Trump, you know? The only leader of the Q movement, Q was never the leader of the Q movement, Donald Trump was. Even though I honestly feel like Donald Trump found out about QAnon really late. He was always the leader even though he almost never knew about it. And then the sad thing is, or not sad, like, because I hate all these people and, and it's good because it's, you know, so much power, all, most of the power was lost the moment Donald Trump found out that he was the leader of the movement. As soon as he found out that he was the leader of the QAnon movement, all of his, like, so much of his power was lost. And then, now it's like, oh, yeah, I have an enormous announcement tomorrow. And then all the QAnon people are like, oh, wow, are we really arresting all the dem Democrat demons? And then he releases NFT trading cards. And the QAnon movement itself is like, wow, there's nothing here. And they just sit there and they look down upon their empty hands. And that is what and there's nothing left. There's nothing there, you know? And they realize, they do not realize the unrealizable because they can never realize that they were all just part of a big joke. That is too painful of a realization. So instead they sit with like the silence of nothing because the only thought that there is to really have is a thought that's too painful to really have. So all you have is like a little bit of an emotion of like anger or sadness or something, but really it's stillness. Like they have so much stillness now. The QAnon people, when they when they realize when the power fades, it leaves them with an almost enlightened sense of stillness because they, it's like once you've, it's very Nietzsche, you know? When, when you've rejected everything and you've eaten all of your own and there's nothing left on your plate, and you look up and you realize that, you know, it was all a joke and you told the joke and you laughed at the joke and you heard the joke, but you also invented the joke and you were also surprised by the joke. And it's like, the joke was everything and you were every role in the joke. 
it's so fucking beyond good and evil, you know? All too human. Thus spake Sarah Hustra. Sarah Hustra. Sarah Hurst. Oh, God. Yeah, and I mean, if I can just continue on that sort of like, I shouldn't talk about the news and I shouldn't talk about politics because I'm not like a smart guy. I'm just like a restaurant worker. So I don't really have anything to say about those things that's like interesting compared to someone who for a living has something to say about it. But I do think it's interesting that, or like another thought I had is like, I read this, I, I was reading the New York Times and it's like, there was an article where the headline was about how everything everywhere all at once, is that what it's called? I th- all of, no, everything everywhere all of the time is the name of the movie. It's a movie with all these Asian people in it. I found it to be an incredibly moving, beautiful movie that does so many things at the same time. It's so visually and in so much tempo and it's so smart and it's so, has such real emotion and such fascinating relationships and all this stuff. My buddy Sam, who's a real film auteur, who's going to directing school at UCLA, she hated it. So, you know, the real film people hate it maybe, but I loved it because I'm a pedestrian. And the the news article was about how that movie got more Oscar nominations than any other movie this year. So what does that mean? Like that means that we are solving some sort of problem of representation and equality and something where like – Voices that were previously not heard, you know, faces, stories that were untold. Things are now, you know, things are moving a little bit. We're getting somewhere, you know. Interesting news stories like this thing of like old Chinese lady who owns a dry cleaning story who looks really pale and who's just like such a – It's they, they, they picked – they chose the protagonist of the film. It's like the most background character – in a white people movie ever. It's just such a convincingly backgroundy character. It's a character that's a background character in so many movies and whose story never gets told. And then the story gets told and it's a superhero movie. And it's like really, really fun and really, really superficial at, and also really profound. And it just does so many good things at the same time. So you really, you have this headline about how you not only do you now have this movie, and it's like a high-budget proper movie that's doing all these good things for Asians. I really just believe that that is how it works. Like, representation does something. It's good for them. And because it's good for them, it's good for everyone, you know? Because inequality is sort of bad for all of us. And not only is that movie made, it's also recognized and it's gotten more Oscar nominations than any other movie, right? So that's one headline. And then the two headlines below it are like the two fucking shootings in California on Chinese New Year, pretty much around Chinese New Year. I mean, Chinese New Year is seven days, so it's like a little bit vague what's Chinese New Year. but, But two shootings where like, an Asian person fucking massacred a bunch of Chinese people. A Chinese person massacred a bunch of Chinese people. And then there was another shooting where an Asian person again shot a bunch of Asian people. And it's like, it just made me sit with such a strange feeling of how there is no straight line from A to B. You know what I mean? Like, 
we have this thing that's supposed to make the world a better place. And don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. And don't say that this is not pushing me to the right. And it's not like I think that everything all at once, whatever, everything everywhere, all of the time, that movie, it's not like it didn't make the world a better place. It's just like, it doesn't make the world a better place in a simple A to B thing. Where like now, because that movie came out, everything is so much like a pendulum swing kind of thing, you know? Like we get Barack Obama and then because we get Barack Obama, we get Donald Trump. And it's not this straight line where Barack Obama just made the world a little bit better. And then we made it a little bit better the day after that. And it just gets a little bit better. It's like we made the world way better. But because we made it too better, too, too way too quick, it had to get way worse. It's like because things are getting so much better, there's a lot of pain. It really hurts. It really hurts. And it's like, those shootings happen in like ballroom dancing venues. And it's like, bro, you don't understand, man. There's nothing more wholesome and innocent and beautiful. Anyone who lived like a few years in China will tell you that there's nothing more wholesome and beautiful and innocent than the massive groups of synchronized ballroom dancing old people doing that stuff. And it's like when you party in China, you always like find yourself many times getting wasted. And then at like four or 5 a.m., the sun is about to come up and someone is just like, look, I know where we're going. Come here, we're going four blocks this way. And you go four blocks that way because they know that there's a big open space next to the river right there. And the old people are about to gather and do ballroom dancing at like sunup. And you like don't, I never really like went in and like, but like the French people go in and they dance with them, you know, and they let them because they don't, they, those old people, they, it's not that they don't understand that we haven't gone to bed yet. It's that they don't mind. It's that they just, there's a strange, there's a strange presence to it. You know, there's a strange like, just, be here now. There's a strange Danish Dogma 95 be here now quality to it. Like, stop with the lying. Like, yeah, it doesn't matter. Like, we just woke up. You haven't gone to bed yet. Why does that matter? Because I'm here and you're here and this, like, cheap speaker playing this techno remix of classical music that we're going to do ballroom dancing to? Like, it's like, you think they would go with the classics, but they go with techno. Everyone's 85 years old. They pair up two and two, synchronized. There's an instructor. There's a hundred of them. They dance perfectly spaced out, beautifully, slowly. Techno is the music. Just the real techno that would make the Berghain, the Berghain Gase would be proud, you know? I don't know, man. Those shootings made me really sad, even though it's like, it's the news and 
I don't know. Like it, it always feels a little bit silly to get sad from the news. Like it's, it's fake, you know. It's like, or it's far away. It's artificial. It's like, as a human being, your emotional life is really just supposed to be around the two hundred human beings living closest to you, and anything beyond those two hundred people, like that's not really your emotional bandwidth. Like you can't feel what all billions of people are feeling. So if you feel beyond your two hundred people and you feel just cherry-picked stuff that the TV screens are giving you, then even though those things happen in reality, it's like it's really kind of unhealthy to feel anything beyond your borders. You know, which is an incredibly problematic statement, but, but, but it's also true. True and problematic. Anyway, maybe I have to call it there. I have so many more things I'd like to talk about, but it's 2.33 a.m., so I think it's over. I think it's over. I love you guys, and thank you for listening.